Hi guys and welcome back to Fair Talks. Today's episode is a little different where you guys will get access to a very exclusive breakfast talk. Do you remember the GQ and British fur trade breakfast discussion on the rise of fur in men's fashion? Well, we have the full recording here of what went down that morning coming up next. Make sure to visit our official page wearefur.com and go to the Fur Talks section to see photos and more exclusives of the event. Now, Let's listen back to what happened on that morning. It's so great to see so many of you here, particularly as we're on the final day of um, London Fashion Week Men's, which is a schedule that seems to become more crowded each season. So thank you for finding the time. Uh, we, won't, we won't keep you long. We are here this morning to talk about fur with some very distinguished panellists. Obviously, the use of fur is an incredibly emotive subject in our industry despite being used some, by some of our most high-profile design houses. Um, while one of the most interesting and salient points uh, at the moment is how the use of fur is growing in menswear rather than women's wear, which is one of the reasons we're convening here this morning. Um, today on our panel, we have Eve Salomon, the president of Eve Salomon. Um, we have the designer Astrid Anderson, one of the stars of Men's Fashion Week. Uh, the young designer Alexandra Castle. Um, Andreas van der Heide, who is the co-founder of the Danish fashion brand Le Deux. And we also have Frank Zilberweit, who is the chairman of the British Trade Association. We're going to be chatting for about 25, 30 minutes. And then if any of you, if you have any questions um, afterwards, the, the panellists will be around for about half an hour afterwards um, to have coffee. So, welcome. Um, sorry, I'm a fashion journalist, not a uh, designer. Oh, I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. sorry. I'm terribly sorry. We're going to fire the researcher. <laughs> um, so there is, there's been a lot of talk about fake fur, eco fur, vegan fur, vegan leather, etc. Do you think there is an ethical or responsi- uh, responsible alternative to natural fur? Eve. Um, you know, I just read an article uh, yesterday uh, so many whales died in the ocean because of plastic, so I think there is no alternative to real fur. Um, and it seems quite clear that the main consumer attitude <coughs> is uh, extremely favora- favorable to fur. Uh, I have to say that uh, the fur department in our company is the fastest growing department. We are growing 30% per, per e- every year. and. Uh, it's been only uh, four years we st- we've been starting, and uh, I would have to say that we have a corner in Harrods which, which is doing amazingly well. And um, I think that the future of men, fur for men, is, is bright. And I have to say also that uh, um, in the fashion show, the, the most expected fashion show of the, in the winter, the Christian Dior with Kim Jones and uh, Louis Vuitton with Virgil Abloh were full of fur, although the press didn't really uh, speak about that, but I think that was uh, a key event, and uh, I think uh, the major designer are 100% supporting the fur and fashion in fur. But Alexander, what do you think about these alternatives? I think um, with alternatives, I mean, I think there's a lot of miseducation about these things. And I think 
there's a, a lot there are a lot of issues with transparency so I did a series of films about um, um, fur in fashion and I mainly looked into the hypocrisy of it and I found that there's there are a lot of issues with transparency even in companies that are saying that they don't want to use fur that they want to use alternatives and I think that's a big issue in the fashion industry still today can you expand upon that for example um, so designers I interviewed or even you know speaking with big companies like Saga for example there are a lot of questions that seem unanswered and I think that's a very big issue that I think that's one of the reasons why why there are still questions about fur, whether it's the best um, material to use or whether you know people want to use alternatives. I think mainly it's people, there needs to be more transparency. Astrid? Um, yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's, that's an important part of it. But I think it's also, to me at least from a personal point, it's important to kind of separate uh, if you have uh, like a moral compass that says, I don't really feel comfortable wearing fur because I think that's 100% like a personal decision. But I think it gets a little bit confusing when people uh, compare it to an environmental issue because uh, I, think, I think the two get a bit mixed up at the moment. Like it's like you want to say one match, everybody wants to be pro-environment and somehow fur has got thrown in into that where actually if you look at what fur is, then that's the complete opposite, actually. I think the fact that people now care about the environment is going to be so important for the fur industry because that's an industry that 100% is ready for sustainability uh, and not as a buzzword, but actually as something they've been doing for, you know, working with Saga and, you know, been looking into sort of the traceability of that aspect for 20 plus years. So I think actually it's, it's a case for me a little bit of separating the two because I think the ethical standpoint is, should be allowed to be there because not everything is for everyone, but if we are gonna discuss it in a environmental, uh, from an environmental viewpoint, then I think it's important to actually highlight the importance of, sorry, of uh, as a sustainable element to fashion. Andreas, how, um, how do you give your consumers confidence and, and assurance in the fur that they are buying, because there's well, that's fundamentally, isn't it? That, that that sort of trust and transparency is becoming increasingly important. Yeah, we had the discussion in the beginning whether we should do fur or, or not do fur, and, and uh, Astrid being a, uh, an amazing designer, we are a little bit more commercial brand, so so our consumer is is, is probably a little bit different. Uh, so we had to educate. So the first thing that we did was that we visited a lot of the farms in in Copenhagen. That's all the videos that are made in China, made in Russia, and so on which is terrible and I had to I had to be sure that that wasn't the fact here in uh, or in where they produce here in uh, for us is in, uh, in in Denmark so what we did was that we went behind the scenes and and, uh, and we did a video to educate our consumer uh, on how the, the, the furs are treated and actually what we found out is that they are treated way better than my own dog because otherwise the the, the fur will uh, will get stressed or the mink will get stressed and the fur wouldn't be that great so uh, knowing that and, and as, as a designer or a brand owner, taking the responsibility to get to know the, the whole industry has been really important to me in order to educate. So what we do is, is that we try to educate our consumer out there to meet them and answer their question, even though sometimes it, it has been negative, but 80% or 90% of the time it has been really uh, positive because from the beginning we have, we have to, um, educated our consumers in, in a very, really simple way. How? 
Yeah, by first of all, by um, doing this, it seems quite simple, but we did a video from one of the fur, um, one of the fur farms where we met the people behind their thoughts uh, on how to treat fur and, and, and the whole fur industry. Uh, I'm doing lecture, uh, lectures within Europe and I've always taken this discussion about fur because people are always asking us why did you do the collab with Copenhagen Fur, what did it give you and it gave us a lot. So uh, I'm just being 100% open and, and meeting people where they, where they may need, need some answers. Question for Frank, question for all of you. How has the activity of animal rights activists impacted upon your sales and your consumers' appetite for fur? Is there a direct correlation between media noise and sales? Of course, uh, in the industry, nobody likes to be attacked in the public. But it's remarkable because I was active in the London retail scene for 30 odd years before uh, I, I sold our, our operation to Eve Solomon. And the mere fact that I was able to sell my operation to Eve Solomon is a, uh, a, a strong sign of how vibrant the UK retail market is for fur products. And I found that uh, when I went on media, uh, radio or TV and I talked about the realities of the fur industry it was an eye-opener for the for the general public you know we are today are so remote from our origins as farmers hunters uh, living off the land that we, we lose contact with the reality you know rural communities which have, have mink farming are very important because otherwise these societies will disappear and the worst thing is that you know if you have native people in say uh, in Canada or North America who rely on the fur industry to support their cultural way of life. I, I'll never forget that when they had uh, Ka Carol McKenna come, who was part of uh, uh, the Lynx organization attacking us for uh, uh, using uh, uh, North American uh, animals for, for their fur. And I said, do you realize that the impact you're making on these people is far greater than what we are doing in the furniture? We are supporting their culture, their way of life, and you are driving them into unemployment and alcoholism. And so therefore, where the anti-fur always try to take the high moral ground, I think actually they have a lot to answer for because they're destroying ways of life, people's culture, people's communities. And uh, we in the fur industry, we try to sustain it. We t obviously take note of criticism. We try to improve what we do. We try to become more transparent. And that's what we are doing. And as somebody from Fendi said, there's no industry more transparent than the fur industry. But, but, but if I can take what Astrid said before, you have the two sides when you talk about this. Is you have the sustainability and you have the ethical. And right now, also in our company and in the world in general, as you probably know, the sustainability is ranked as number one. The ethical has before been number one, now it's more number two. So in our way, we haven't really been affected by the ethical uh, when launching the, the whole fur uh, collection. Because on the sustainability side, the fur is so strong and, and, and the history or the stories you can make out of it is, is, is really good. So, so uh, it hasn't affected our sales. But regardless of whether someone is number one or num ranked num number two, these mm -hmm. two issues are incredibly important and they're becoming even more important, uh, particularly in the young, younger generation. I mean, I live in a, ha um, in a household full of vegans now and um, my daughters are incredibly strident about this. And uh, veganism is, is, is an interesting issue. I mean, it's, I think three and a half million people now identify as vegan uh, in the UK. How is that going to change consumption or attitudes towards um, buying fur? Everybody. I think that, uh, um, I think it, we have really to respect the, the vegan attitude. It's a, a personal choice. 
And uh, we also have to respect the consumer choice. And the consumer choice is or not to buy fur. Fur is a natural product. And uh, there is no, absolutely no ethical uh, ground for criticism. And um, fur is recyclable, fur is sustainable, and fur is stressable. And I don't think there's many uh, products in the, the, the fashion industry which can have all these three uh, uh, aspects. And uh, we have, of course, to talk to millennials. This is a, uh, really a, a target which is very important. And to, to talk to millennials, we have to be true. We have to, be, to tell the truth. We have to be uh, transparent. And, we, and the truth and the transparency leads to a quite moral product and a natural product. So we have no issue today. Yeah, I think actually one of the most like super interesting things about uh, people becoming vegetarians or vegan today is driven from an environmental point. Uh, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, it was strictly from a sort of more moral standpoint in terms of animal welfare. And, and I think that's going to be like a key, that's a key, key point to get across actually that uh, that those two can kind of coexist as long as they're not one is not kind of one doesn't have to exclude the other actually because if we're doing things um, if we're becoming vegan now because of you know protecting the environment then first sits quite sort of comfortably within that same conversation I would say but there is a uh because these issues have become highlighted by the media and because there's been a, a change in, in the groundswell of opinion, particularly amongst millennials, um, although that's become a sort of uh, a, a demonized categorization, I think, slightly unfairly, that there is, in lots of instances, you're seeing greenwashing where people are going out of their way to give an impression that they're changing their habits in terms of production, but how has that affected the fur industry? Because there's obviously the, um, your, the media message is an incredibly powerful one. And as, as you all say, transparency is becoming increasingly important. It's a salient part of anyone's messaging now. How has it changed? I think this increasingly shows the issue with the hypocrisy of it in the sense that the more, the more companies are, refuse, are saying that they don't want to use fur, and waving that flag of faux fur, whatever, the more you're seeing issues where, pe where companies are using shearling, they're using leather. How does that make sense for them to ban uh, a material when they're still using other, other materials, such as leather, such as shearling? Many brands are doing this, and I think that goes f for saying, for people who, for example, are vegan, or you know, if they go the whole way, that's fine, that's their choice. But if someone is you know, protesting outside London Fashion Week and then is wearing leather shoes, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, and I think that really translates into the fashion industry. How has your opinion of this industry changed or did it change throughout your research and your filming and immersing yourself in this industry? I think it did change. Um, so I'm, I'm pro fur, but I do think the I think I'm, I'm against faux fur for the reason that it's the materials, uh, for the material, the dyeing, um, and how, you know, the plastic and how bad it is for the environment. But in the same way, I fully support people who are against fur because of, you know, the true fact that it is killing an animal. 
and you can't, I think you have to be incredibly transparent about that. Um, however, I, I think with the hypocrisy, that has really focused my research and that is something that I would like to look into further because it's something that I think still doesn't make sense. Astrid, um, we have seen, as we talked about earlier, the um, um, fur is still an incredibly important component of many people's collections and it is uh, making far more inroads into menswear than, it, than it's ever done before. Um, but explain why you use fur, why you want to use fur, and why you're prepared to, be, uh, to es espouse your, your sort of passion for it. Um, I mean, I come from Denmark as well. So I think in my sort of whole upbringing and culture, cultural background, it's never been something, it's always been a very kind of open, uh, approach to to that uh, as as a as a product and as a material. So for me as a designer, already when I started studying it, I found it really interesting. Uh, especially sort of my design ethos has always been to sort of sort of uh, bring elements into menswear that felt more kind of um, not feminine but softer. Um, and fur was always a part of, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a material freak. I love materials. I love sourcing it. Like, that's really what gets, you know, drives my sort of creativity. And fur has just been a really natural, like, amazing component to be able to, to sort of play around with. Um, and sort of been able to influence a language within menswear, kind of using that as a strong, like, a powerful tool, I think. Um, so for me, it's always been like an, an aesthetic and a passion for the actual craft and material. You know, like in, when you're a small brand as well, the, the opportunity to work on a product for, for weeks and, you know, like really indulge yourself in actually creating the perfect garment is something is rare to find outside of couture. Or, so, so, so the opportunity also to really honor a craftsmanship for me has always been super relevant within that context as well. So we are um, at the, the start of the, the final day of Men's Fashion Week in London um, and I'd like everyone's opinion on this about why it's growing in menswear um, because there's probably more media um, uh, activity around fur. It's, it's still, as, we, uh, as we've acknowledged, a very emotive subject. So why is it growing in menswear? I find this fascinating. But menswear has grown all across, you know, as a luxury category, period. Yeah. So I think it's just the natural, uh, it's natural that that follows as well, I think. Frank, what do you think? I've, it's hard to answer as I'm not a fashion expert anymore, but without a doubt, it, uh, it's been used in, 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 in America, in Russia, and in the Middle East. Men seem to have an affinity towards fur. It does give a, 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 a different uh, layer to uh, men's, uh, uh, men's fashion. I've been dealing for many years with two or three companies worldwide who use uh, fur in their men's collections, and it seems to have an enduring popularity. So obviously it does sell very well. <laughs> and uh, I suppose uh, designers go where the money is. If, if they have a product which, which their clientele want and, it, and they have good sales with it, and I've, I believe that um, in London as well that the sale, sales of men's 
where we have a fur component is fantastic. I mean, just look at Canada Goose. You know, it, it's, it's transsocial, transgender, and it sells like crazy. And so um, it obviously is what people want. Andreas? Uh, coming out of Denmark, where we had a really hard time with, with the whole fur, selling fur, um, London is, is, is unique because Harvey Nichols has done so well, uh, well with it. Um, I, th I see it as a, as, as a trend and it's been accepted by men uh, worldwide. But why? Yeah, why? Uh, I would love to answer that question. <laughs> um, maybe it's, it's it, I don't know, it's a new material, it's, uh, it's a way of, of showing a, a more uh, premium way of, of doing clothing. Um, a counter reaction to to H&M uh, and, and the whole fast fashion. Um, then you have again the sustainability and and, and so on. Um, and and uh, yeah, I don't have a, an exact question. That's 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 really interesting. The fact that uh, it's uh, you're co you're couching it in terms of it being a luxury product. And actually, there is now so much noise about fast fashion, about plastics, about too many drops in stores that. Is this, and we've seen this in other sectors of the market, is this a shift towards uh, luxury? Is, is that what we're talking about here? Alexandra, what do you think about that? I think, I think it's definitely an interesting question because so, you know, it's, 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 why, it's really interesting to understand why people actually wear fur in the first place. Um, you know, what, what is it about fur? And I think luxury is definitely an interesting um, reason for that but perhaps it's this sort of generation where um, the the limited edition the the luxury that is sort of the market that people are interested in at the moment the customization as well I think is really important um, definitely you can still I mean you can still go into Harrods and and get customization on furs with everything and I think that's a really interesting area to look into because it's not just an age thing, according to a lot of the research that I've seen, and it isn't just the fact that more fur is being bought by men of a certain age, and it does cut across, um, uh, it, it does cross, uh, uh, cut across um, age sectors, and there is a, a very strong m millennial surge for, um, uh, uh, for, uh, for buying fur as well, which I have to say surprised me. Eve, why, I mean, this is your bread and b b butter, why, why is this happening? I, I found uh, three reasons. The first one is the, the there is a, first it's new, so uh, it's a new, new way for men to express their, uh, in, uh, some kind of... But it's, but, it's, but it's not new, is it? It's really? new in the way it's done today. It's done today in a way that uh, it appeals to millennium with a high level of fashion. I mean, it's not a classic uh, man fur coat which is selling. It's something which is highly fashionable with a lot of creation. If you look at the, for example, uh, Kim Jones' last show, I mean, it was incredible new techniques used with uh, metallism, with metallic fur and amazing colors. I mean. So there's a, no, a lot of technology. Um, I think it's, a, so that's, that's really new. And uh, it's a way of expressing luxury. And uh, luxury means also uh, some kind of exclusivity. It's not, uh, I, I have to say, on the contrary of the, of the fur for women, which have been, in my opinion, uh, 
too, ma too much uh, uh, spread on the market. I mean, for men, it's, it's a very exclusive product. It, uh, and uh, the third reason, reason is, uh, which is very, very strange, I mean, uh, and, and quite surprising, but it's a very inclusive product because it appeals to a lot of communities. And uh, we've been, the, have the great surprise to have, uh, for example, in New York, uh, the black community uh, fighting to defend the fur from, for, for, for the, their community. So fur is an inclusive product. And, uh, and also, the, maybe another reason is men are going very, very, uh, we, we give a strong assurance to men and women, of course, but uh, that fur is, is not an immoral product, it's a moral product, it's a natural product. And uh, today, men are looking for, for really for uh, quality and also comfort, which is uh, clearly what the case for fur. But isn't it also about we have a whole generation coming up that wants to be unique? And even though fur is, is being um, a more normal thing right now, it's still something special. It still stands out in the collection, uh, being a little bit more premium. And the guys we sell it to is, I mean, there's a limited amount of pieces in, in, in each collection, so they, they feel unique in, in some kind of way. Uh, I also think uh, that it's a, it's a question about that. I mean, what you're doing is, is fascinating because you are sort of bridging these two, two worlds between streetwear and the perception of luxury. So mm. what, why did you start? I mean, what was that idea? It's, it's a very specific idea, no, but, and, it's, and it's quite a challenging idea as well, really. First of all, I like a challenge. Uh, so when they called me up, I wanted to, first of all, provoke the business by introducing at least in, in, in the beginning, uh, uh, Copenhagen, uh, first to Copenhagen and, and the whole menswear business. And then we wanted to show that, that even for as a premium um, uh, product, we can still make it premium commercial. So, so just looking at, looking at a normal sweatshirt over there with, with uh, added details, it, it's quite simple and it's not designed. Uh, we showed that, that you can make take fur as a premium product and, and, and sell it uh, in a more commercial way. So that was the challenge and, and, and we... Uh, and we did that. And um, then I, it was something different. It was a new world and it, it was easy to, to provoke and we got a lot of opinions and, and it, was, it was easy for us to stand out and show something different. And then it was really suitable uh, in, our, uh, in our business. And have you seen this replicated elsewhere? I mean, do you, do you feel like you're plowing your own sort of furrow here or? Uh, haven't seen it elsewhere. Uh, I'm not a designer, so I'm, I'm on the business side, but, uh, but we do really well with it. And uh, we kind of continue. We, we, we did it as a collab for two seasons in the beginning, uh, but now, uh, especially for, for the whole UK market that, uh, and the German market, uh, it's a really good uh, way of positioning to do it within the market. And, uh, and we sell it really well. So we're going to continue. Um. Sorry, I had a question. Um, so earlier you said, you mentioned about um, that fur was an inclusive product. Yes. I, I find that sort of interesting because of the price of it. Well, fur is very expensive. Well, fur is not always as expensive as, as people believe, uh, number one. And number two, um, we found out that fur is part of, of many communities. and. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a traditional product and, and many communities have fur in their tradition. And we, we have to, to know that. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you look at uh, 
many wrappers, for example, they, they all, most of them wear fur, and they all, all of them, or most of them, put them up front in their, in their shows and in their, uh, in their uh, clothing uh, garderobe. Mm. But, but I think it's, it's a misunderstanding that fur has to be so expensive. And I think that was what we showed and that what we had to do in order to get our consumer or our customer to, to buy it. Of course, you have the full fur that, that costs a lot of money. But it, if you add the fur details, you give the consumer uh, a reason to buy and, and feel a little bit more unique than just a normal hoodie and so on. It doesn't have to be uh, so, um, so expensive. And that's why we say it's, it's, we have made fur premium commercial in the way that we did it. And if you look at uh, the wider world, you'll see that uh, huge markets which drive every aspect of the fashion industry, like China and, and Russia, fur is absolutely endemic in their culture. And the moment these uh, e e uh, market economies prosper, the demand for fur shoots up. And fur industry over the last 20 years has been hugely successful because it's been driven by these markets. And and in Asia, they look to Korea as well. And Korea, which is the cultural hub of Asia, has the most voracious appetite for fur, for, for men's fur and for women's fur. So uh, these are economic realities which all fashion brands should be looking at. Um, one final question. We've got a few minutes um, before people have to start rushing off to more fashion shows. So I'd like to ask all of you, um, what words of wisdom would you give to fashion houses and young designers who are currently questioning the use of fur? Eve. I think uh, brands should for forget about 100% marketing attitude and should go to the truth and, and check the, by themselves the structure and the transparency of the fur uh, industry. And, and if they find what is actually the situation, I think they can do fur without any difficulty. Yeah, I think that's super true. I think it's very important that fur doesn't get lost in becoming yeah, the marketing tool. Either you want to promote your product through it or you want to promote your brand through not doing it. I think it's important that your reasons for doing it should be from a purely sort of that you believe in it somehow and it makes sense for you and your business or as a creative person. If we start to talk about it in a, in a purely sort of millennials are buying this product or that product I feel like the whole industry could get lost in chasing something that should be come from a more I think it's important that it stays true to to the to the fact that it's that it is an exclusive product actually and it should be treated sort of with some a personal consideration Alexandra I think also with um, design institutions banning materials you know with people starting out in their careers in, in universities, for example, Antwerp and Parsons putting bans on fur and, you know, the, it hasn't been set in stone at Central St. Martin's in London. Um, so, and I think, I think companies really need to target young designers and actually educate through that. I think if you're putting bans on young designers, I think that is going to be an issue. Um, yeah. Andreas? I don't want to put so much in it. I mean, I'm very... What to, what, as we said, if you like the product view, for our sake, the reason that we did it was that, that we could 100% uh, accept the way that, that, it, that the animals were treated and so on. And, and, and we liked the product and we thought it could give the brand value. 
So if people, they have the culture of sustainability, we like the product and, and that's the reason why we, we did it and that's why I'm in the business. I do think that's things that I like. Thank you. Um, I believe that uh, the first story is a good story. Uh, designers and retailers uh, may ha have some anxiety about the, using it. Our industry provide, is providing all the reassurances and quality controls and, and uh, ethical controls that, uh, that, that will reassure you. We are introducing a new product called Furmark, which will trace uh, the fur back to uh, certified farms it will tr trace also the processing so that anybody can buy with confidence a fur uh, product knowing that it has been humanely and with the high standards of welfare produced and at the end of the day there's one thing I'll say to everybody look at the bottom line and the bottom line for most people who use fur is bigger profits fascinating thank you all for coming this morning. Like I say, the, the panel will be around for about 20, 25 minutes afterwards if anybody um, uh, would want to chat. But in the meantime, could you please give a round of applause to Alexandra, Andreas, Astrid, Franklin. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you.